0: Logos and Ecclesia, Mary in Theology and Society The intent of this blog post on the role of Mary in society, of her place in theology, is to contribute to the contemporary conversation taking place between Catholic and Protestant Christians. Ecumenical dialogue is by its very nature a touchy domain. Not only does it involve the necessary clash of different positions, Indeed, of opposing positions, but the very task itself flies in the face of modern sensibilities. How in the world can this be? Does ecumenism not bring with it a bad taste in the mouth of so many conservative Christians due to its constant abuses? Does it not yield the fruits of relativism and compromise? After all, relativism and compromise appear to be a cancer in our contemporary Christian setting. At first glance, the idea that ecumenical dialogue flies in the face of modern sensibilities seems preposterous. Nevertheless, and I don't mean to be semantic, this aversion, which so many, including myself, are justified in feeling, is not an aversion to ecumenical dialogue, but of something corrosive, something quite dark, in fact. It is an aversion to what Pope Benedict XVI called the dictatorship of relativism. We speak of compromise and of personal truths, but these are guises for dictatorship and tyranny. Uncritically changing one's mind for the sake of unity, or relegating fundamental differences to tolerance, as if this would somehow yield peaceful cohabitation, is to give up on the genuinely ecumenical task. It is merely the abandonment of the truth, the apostasy of any real faith. And this does not lead to peace. On the contrary, if everything stands on the subjective whims of individuals attempting to create their own meaning, as opposed to on a commonly shared ground of meaning, which shapes our cultural identity, then we will fracture, identify ourselves collectively in opposition to other groups fight among ourselves, even kill each other, as history has witnessed. We have forsaken the classical understanding of authentic freedom, which is directed toward the good, and espoused a modern understanding of liberty, which is directed toward the self. Indeed, this is what secular liberalism does. For Plato, truth was actual, and man came to it through dialogue with his fellow man. For secular liberalism, truth is potential, and man actualizes it individually, apart from the community which has become merely the realm of tolerance. This inevitably leads to the Nietzschean will to power. Secularism purports to be neutral, disguises itself as tolerance of different opinions, but this is only superficially true. It is its own philosophy, a philosophy which led to conflict and power struggles between different confessions' opinions. Here I am drawing from David Schindler, who ties modern liberty to the underlying assumption that there is no ultimate truth attainable through a communal quest for the transcendent. In his dialogues, Plato describes Socrates' as a midwife assisting the birth of the truth in others. Today, religion is merely confessional, and a matter of personal, private opinion, as opposed to a virtue which unifies our social lives. The similarities between the sophists of Socrates' day and the relativism of our day are glaring us in the face. Like Plato, we must ground our culture, our cultus, in the transcendent, for the sake of the political and the social. Truth, as opposed to that actual thing we freely tend toward together, has become relative to the individual's liberty, making it not actual, but dependent on what the individual believes. Augustine of Hippo once defined peace as the tranquility of order, Indeed, genuine peace and cohabitation is impossible where there is fundamental division. Authentic diversity is only possible where there is an underlying essential unity. Communion is not a sort of tyrannical monism. Rather, it is a unity which is only possible through the ascent of free agents to a universal truth. In other words, there must be unity in what is universally true for genuine diversity in particulars to even be possible in the first place. This is why there is a tyrannical monism at play in our times, and we have fallen prey to it. Secular neutrality is not the tolerance of diversity. It is a disguise for the universal scope of relativism's intolerance. Only in the communion of persons is the tranquility of order possible. Yet this presupposes a transcendent third principle, which is not the otherness of the person in front of me, but the oneness which brings others together, the oneness of justice and love. This is why all communion is Trinitarian. This Trinitarian communion in our lives and in our social order can only be possible if we are aware of, in touch with, united to the Transcendent Third Principle. Yet, there is a fundamental problem. We are limited, which means we fall short by definition. And the principle always seems aloof. The extraordinary claim of the Gospel is that this principle has been made present to humanity in the most concrete manner ever imaginable. And this is where the importance of Mary is crucial. She is the soil through which the Logos has united itself to us here below, thereby making the transcendent imminent, filling the soil with grace and life. A grace and life which is no longer a distant dream, but a real overlap of heaven and earth. At the heart of ecumenical abuse is secularism, which is a lack of authentic faith. Secularism is the practical atheism of our day, one which has dictatorship over our lives and our culture. That is not ecumenical dialogue. This blog, on the other hand, Humbly attempts to be.